Welcome to the Aspen Chapel podcast with Nicholas and Heather Vesey. So I mentioned this last week, but as many of you are aware, we've had to suspend three of our programs uh, recently, music, um, outreach, and our youth program because of the effects of the pandemic on our finances. And we've also had to reduce our administration costs. And you know, this has left the chapel poorer in so many ways as much of the wealth and substance of what the chapel has to offer is in our programs. So we're definitely experiencing here a decline at the moment, which is a big contrast to the growth and celebration that we had last year uh, with the celebrations around our 50th anniversary. You know, decline is always difficult. We have attitudes and opinions about what it means. There's the fear of the downward spiral of loss and even death. We look at where we are and then we predict forward, usually in a pessimistic way. The temptation with decline is to see the worst where we're going. But just as success doesn't last forever, so there's no prediction that it'll continue even if we want to with success, so decline as well doesn't last forever. It's part of the ebb and flow of all the things that we go through. That famous verse from Jesus, very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Decline is just as much a part of life as growth. And we have to see it in this way and manage both our expectation and our response to it. Very much like the aging process. We cannot be despondent about every ache or pain or every, even every diagnosis that we get. We have to see them in the light of the bigger picture, which is our whole life. We have to see our own decline in the context of everything that's around us, everything that we've been through, and everything others have had to face. There's no point in having unrealistic expectations about our own lives, but nor is there any point in allowing what happens to us to affect our overall perspective on life. We have to have a robust worldview that includes both growth and decline. Richard Raw said that a person over 40 has nothing to learn from success. A person over 40 has nothing to learn from success. So most of our learning actually comes from failure. The realization that we, we don't have all the answers. The humility to take responsibility for our experience of life. I just to remind you of those five things that Richard says that a man and probably a woman needs to learn in order 
to pass from adolescence to manhood. He says, these are the five things we have to learn. One, life is hard. Two, you are not important. Three, your life is not about you. Four, you're not in control. And five, you're going to die. Life is hard. You're not important. Your life is not about you. You're not in control. And you're going to die. Do you know, these are the things that keep us humble and enable us to remember that we're not in control. And that's, that's such an important thing to remember. No matter how much we try to be in control, the same thing, same from the word, Latin word sanus, meaning healthy. The healthy thing is to realize that we're not in control of our life or our circumstances. No matter how we try to force our life in one direction or another, we're not in control. People who think they're in control end up going mad. You know, I always say this, but it's going to end badly for all of us. There is not a second that we're in control, at least of our circumstances. So what are we in control of? Our bodies? Well, no, they rebel at all times. Illness, pain, weakness, puberty, menopause. We just live in our bodies hoping that we're going to get through. Maybe our minds. Surely we're in control of our minds, you know, being spiritually minded and practicing mindfulness. Surely we control that. As that Holocaust survivor and, and uh, uh, psychiatrist Viktor Frankl said, between stimulus and response, there's a space. Between stimulus and response, there's a space. And in that space is the power to choose our response. And in our response lies our growth and our freedom. Surely there is our control. And yet we know that even that's temporary. More often than not, we lose it when things go awry. So most of the time, we're not actually in control. When things, bad things happen, so our minds go totally mad and we, we can't be in control of them. We just let them go. Even when we think we're in control, we're not. That's not to say that we shouldn't try and make things work the way that we want them to. We have to do that. You know, it's good to put food on the table and a roof over our heads and put our children through school. It's just that we shouldn't kid ourselves that ultimately we are in control. Even those who make everything in the world go right still get brought up short. Look at Steve Jobs. So it's an important step of sanity to realize that we're not in control. And in doing that, we begin to see our lives in a proper perspective. We begin to get the paradox of being in control while realizing that we're not in control. We have to develop a sensitivity that's not looking to get in control, but one that enables us to be in balance while out of control. Like turning into the skid in a car or leaning into the turn on the skis, we have to go with whatever's happening and to realize that there is something deeper that we have to relate to. 
I love that idea that God comes to us in the circumstances of our lives, but asks us to respond to that presence rather than the circumstances. God comes to us in the circumstances of our lives, but it's not the circumstances that are important. It's the presence of God within that that's important. There is an inner balance that we have to reach for that can contain those circumstances. There's a still point in the turning world. We have to become that still point. In a storm, on a in a gyroscope, in a centrifuge, the only point that's not moving in those things is the eye of the storm, the balancing point of the gyroscope, the central point of the centrifuge. Be anywhere else and you're thrown about. We have to become the eye of the storm that's our lives. And to do that, you've got to let go. To let go of the desire to control the outcomes and focus on just being with what's going on. As it says in the Tao Te Ching, you have to do your work, then step back. The only path to serenity. Our out-of-controlness is really a function of us being attached to the outcomes in our life. But we don't know what's going to happen from one moment to the next, nor what that moment means for our future. So in, in managing decline, we have to become that still point in a turning world, no matter how fast or furious that turning becomes. You know, it's true for our health, for our ageing, our finances, our family life our business, for our politics. And it's true for us here at the chapel. You know, we see decline, we feel it. But still we have to be that still point in a spiralling world. We have to hold on to that still point. You can see it in that famous passage when the disciples fear the storm. When the evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with them. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and the waves, and said, Quiet. Be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. The disciples were panicking. Jesus was still. He was even asleep in the boat during the storm. Our temptation with decline is to rush about and panic, to blame, to get worked up, to try and reverse the movement, when perhaps decline is exactly what needs to happen at the moment. Maybe our health scare is a warning to give up drinking. Maybe our financial scare is a message that we might be spending too much. Maybe politically we get what we deserve. 
And we have to take a look at what causes the problems rather than the solutions. In all cases, there's a value in decline. And the way that we manage decline is to see the value that we can get from it. Our fear of decline is only matched by our fear of death. And to some extent, they're one and the same. But we have to be like the caterpillar going into the pupa. What must the caterpillar think as it leaves the, it weaves the coffin around itself? There's something within it that knows that although it feels like death, there will be something the other side of it. It manages its decline and then the butterfly appears. The crucifixion is another caterpillar butterfly stories. You can see Jesus's fear in the Garden of Gethsemane. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them and knelt down and prayed, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being with anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat were like drops of blood falling to the ground. You know, I looked up this idea of drops of blood falling to the ground, and uh, there is a, a condition called hemitidrosis, which is rare, but a, a real medical condition which causes one's sweat to contain blood. The sweat glands are surrounded by tiny blood vessels that can constrict and dilate to the point of rupture, causing blood to effuse into the sweat glands. And that causes hemitidrosis. It's extreme anguish. And in other accounts, we see the level of Jesus's anguish. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. So even Jesus has this dread, this fear of decline. It's a natural thing. We all feel it. But the lesson from his life is that unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And I think we have to see our own decline in this light. You know, what's the lessons that we're asked to learn from this? Do we have the courage to allow ourselves to go through some sort of metamorphosis that maybe allows us to arise like a butterfly afterwards? Can we be a still point as the world turns around us? Because, the, you know, the truth is you can't really manage decline. We're not in control to the extent that we can dictate our outcomes. What we can do is take responsibility for our decline. We can manage ourselves within the decline by taking responsibility for our part in it, by learning the lessons that we're given, by not making the decline worse, by thrashing about within it, by trusting that we will emerge from it both stronger and in some way transformed like the butterfly to meet the challenges that life is throwing around us. You know, to try and go backwards is never an option. You know, for Jesus to say, okay, let's forget it. You know, we've taken this as far as we can go. I'm just going to become a rabbi. 
with a house and a salary and, you know, work to change the system from within it. Or, you know, the caterpillar to say, hey, you know, I'm actually quite happy to be a caterpillar. I don't need to build this toomey sack to climb into and die. I can just munch cabbages until whenever and have little caterpillars who are, who are content not to be butterflies. We can't go backwards in decline. We can only go forwards. You can't go around it. You have to go through it. It's like grief. Leanne Friesen's a Canadian pastor, and she says, the only way to the other side of grief, and, and grief includes not only death of a loved one, but grief from any loss, the only way is to walk through it, through the journey itself, though it's often twisty and turny and occasionally leads backwards. She compares this process to that book which I read to my kids, and many of you may have read to your kids, which is We're Going on a Bear Hunt by Helen Oxenbury. The refrain in that book is, we're going on a bear hunt, we're going to catch a big one, we're not scared. Then after each of the refrains, we see the family on the bear hunt, it hits an obstacle. For example, uh-oh, a forest, a big dark forest. And then comes the important lesson in the book. We can't go over it. We can't go around it. We've got to go through it. And then we read the sounds as we act out together going through the forest, stumble, trip, stumble, trip, and all the other things that happen in these circumstances. And that continues in different obstacles. It's the same with us with the obstacles that we face. We have to go through them to learn from the journey and to forge through to that point of transformation as the butterfly or as a resurrection. Then we experience the value of the decline that we've been moving through. We're in the middle of things at the moment. It feels like decline as we've lost so much. There is certainly grief and anger. However, it's never just about us. It's about the greater whole. What do we have to learn individually and corporately by going through this? We don't know what we'll be like on the other side, but we can allow the process to enrich us by being that still point in the turning world, by committing to going through it rather than over it or around it, or by turning back. Do you know, I think for our lives to have meaning, we have to see that there's meaning in the universe, and then we have to derive our meaning from the meaning in the universe. In a way, we merge with the universe. We become one with it. And so its meaning and purpose becomes our meaning and purpose. We have to see that the circumstances that we're given to live through are rich in meaning. And we have to play the part that the universe has given us to play. Amen. Let's just have a moment just to, of quiet to just be with what we've just heard, just to reflect on that and see 
What may have struck you? What stays with you? What stood out to you? How can you respond to the circumstances in your life? And let's each of us just bring to mind those in our lives, those we love, who are suffering at the moment. Give our hearts and our attention to them. We pray for them. And as I go through all these people who have asked us to pray for them as a community, let's just um, give our hearts and attention and love to each of these people. Pray for their healing. So we pray for Rita Hunter with Lou Gehrig's disease. For Heather Morrow recovering from a brain injury. For Brett McKenzie still recovering from surgery. For the O'Keefe family. For William. For Bobby Carrillo having suffered a brain aneurysm and for his wife Susie. For Kevin Bedalian, suffering with Lyme disease. We pray for Petra Krimmel, suffering from cancer. And for Carolyn Glay's mum, Marion, who's still ill. Pray for Jim Stark, with stomach and esophageal cancer. And we pray for Wendy Gaylord's sister, Laurie. For Ashley Morse, Heather Idell's daughter, who's working in a hospital in Denver. And for Kelly, Shelley Bogart's daughter. And we pray for Mary Frankel with the virus. And for Tom Crozier with cancer. For Joan Devlin, hospitalized with a major brain illness. For Philip Carter, Susan's husband, who is in the process of actively dying, but, he, but is at peace. And again for Lisa Goddard and her family after the death of her mother. And for Annie and Aaron Poole, involved with the birth of their child. So we just offer up all these people, anyone else in our own hearts, our own lives, trusting and resting in a deep love and hope that contains all of us in the whole world. We just extend our thoughts for a moment to the rest of this country at the moment in these next couple of weeks. All that's going on and all those areas of the world that are suffering, places that have little resources to, to help during this pandemic, refugee camps, places, all the fires, the fire around Boulder at the moment, all those helping there. So we offer up all our thoughts and our hearts. Amen. Thank you. I'd also like to remember uh, Mary Frankel's, the family of Mary Frankel's brother, uh, Kent Muir, whose um, memorial is here this afternoon at four o'clock. And we just think of that family as well. 
going to have our offertory now. Um, Scott and Susan are going to play some music. You'll find donate buttons around um, wherever you're watching. Um, and those of you here, we put a plate over here if you want to make a contribution. Thank you. So anything that you, you picked up that you think might be useful to, to mention? Well, on the one hand, as you were saying, it, it, we have to, like we, we all experience losses and grief, like no one escapes that in, in life. And to, to give that due diligence, not to bypass that whole process, to absolutely go through our losses and, and, and griefs with um, just huge presence and uh, attention and, and fully and sincerely and excessively, with excessive sort of gentleness with ourselves. And on the other hand, to, to balance that somehow with, as you were saying, really like a, a sense of placing our lives individually and collectively within, you know, this greater intelligence that, that is, that we're, that is moving somewhere, that there's evolution is, is taking us all through all our individual lives, moving towards the sort of fullness of love and to somehow hold those two things in balance. That's what I was thinking. It's not easy to do, though, that when you're actually in the, in the you know, when the skid is happening and you're in it, when you've just been told what's going on and all that sort of business, it's, it's much more difficult to do that. And, I, you know, I'm wondering how one manages oneself through that. I mean, it, it is. It's so hard. But th this is where I think a, um, a contemplative practice is so helpful because it, it takes, it just helps us relax that sense of I, you know, me from my fixed reference point where everything, you know, where we experience our lives from is, is where it can be so difficult. And it, and it can just allow us to settle into a much wider, broader, deeper field of love. And from there, I, I think it changes our perspective. I think so much of our experience of life is about um, our perspective and our, our ability, you know, our way of seeing. It's, like, it's not what we see, it's, it's how we see and how we react and um, perspective, perspective. Yeah, I think it's when we identify with our minds and our opinions and our attitudes and we run with them rather than that dropping down into our hearts that we get into trouble, I think. Yeah, and I, th I think the only way of, of doing that is, is to have a, some kind of contemplative practice that just loosens that, that egoic yeah. self. Yeah. So, anything else? Um, no, that's probably Anybody it. want to mention anything? Put your hand up if you're doing your eyes shut up. Anyway, I'll give you a warning, maybe next time we'll start to just invite a few thumbs up from somebody there. That's great. Good. And then we got a lovely, another, um, thanks for listening. If you feel moved to make a donation to the chapel, please go to aspenchapel.org. Thank you. And if you'd like to receive these podcasts regularly, subscribe to the Aspen Chapel through Apple, Google Play, YouTube, or any other outlet.